Hey, quick reminder, I will keep it brief, but we are giving away the Timponi Gillespie in Maui Leaflight Construction on November 1st. So if you are a supporter of our work here, you are automatically entered to win it. Of course, support is just $5 a month. It is the foundation of our business. It allows us to stay independent and of course, really just kind of craft the content with you in mind without any other outside influences. So thanks for that support. If you want to get in on winning that board, you have until November 1st to do so. So go to surfsplendorpodcast.com, navigate over to the support tab. Again, five bucks a month. You won't notice it missing, but it's one brick in the foundation of our work here. So thank you for that. And thank you to the Timponi family on Maui for all of your work and your efforts towards sustainable surfboard manufacturing. We are grateful for you all. Thanks. In the surf world, there are a ton of characters that are just in the periphery, but are quietly influencing the way that you and I experience surfing. You probably don't know their names, their team managers or agents ensuring that their athletes are in videos that you watch and that they're populating your feeds. Sanders in the surfboard factory whose signatures you will never see signed on the bottom of your surfboard. John Roseman has been quietly influencing the surf world in immeasurable ways by virtue of the fact that he's stewarding one of the greatest waves on the planet and has been for nearly as long as that wave has been being surfed. And he doesn't do this single-handedly, nor is it an appointed role, but everybody seems to co-sign John's role as steward, from the recently passed island chief Druku to an endless array of visiting surfers to the island of Tavarua in Fiji. And that includes any and all professional surfers of the past three decades. And it actually may not be fair to claim that Roseman's peripheral influence means that he's nameless, because if you discovered surfing in the era of the surf magazine, Roseman has scored more magazine photos than perhaps any non-professional surfer ever, always at cloud break, always on the wave of the day, always in red trunks, often with his leash on his front foot, all things that we'll unpack in this chat today. And beyond the surf world, by the way, he also played Tom Hanks' stunt double in the film Castaway. So he's a fascinating dude who's made some really epic life choices. And to mark the next chapter of his life and of Tavarua's, he's currently working on his MBA from Yale with a focus on sustainable studies. So I was eager to dig in with this man whose island will finally be reopening next month after an extended closure due to the pandemic. So that is where we'll begin our chat. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Tavarua's own John Roseman. in La Jolla uh yeah where where I've been for the last uh basically the last couple of years waiting for everything to open up 
which it finally has. Yeah. What has COVID been like for Fiji and what happened throughout all that? And then what's the status? So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, obviously COVID hit Fiji really hard, hit, you know, us really hard, you know, tourism industry. Um, Fiji did their best to keep COVID out of the country. You know, they were successful probably for, I don't know, the first year along with Australia and New Zealand. And they kind of, um, you know, adapted the same tactic that those countries did. So stopped all the international flights, had heavy quarantine, um, heavy quarantine policy in place for any flights that they did have to kind of repatriate their citizens. And, um, you know, they, they pulled it off until the Delta variant got in. Okay. And then once that happened, it, it was, it's been pretty tough. Now recently, you know, they've been able to vaccinate, um, I think they're up to like 85% of the population. So that's why they're finally able to open up to, you know, at least select countries next month, including the U S. So we're do fired up suffer, on. Do they suffer a lot of deaths or do they have the proper hospital kind of staff and accommodation to handle all that? Um, they, I mean, they try their best. You know, I, I think the medical system, um, even before COVID, you know, has been fairly taxed. It's hard, you know, they, they don't have um, a lot of the resources that Western countries like us have. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty scary when the Delta variant got in. Um, but I have to say the government did a good job, even when that happened of isolating, um, clusters and individuals and able to kind of quarantine these people and just keep it from completely spreading and, and decimating a big chunk of the population. Where were you when the outbreak hit? Um, I was here. I was actually going to head, head down there. Um, but yeah, I, I was here. I was here basically, and yeah, it, it was shocking, right? Because we we're all watching it kind of unfold yeah. from from China, and you know, I mean, I think we all were taking it seriously, but we just didn't realize how rapidly it was going to spread. And you know, you never really know how serious something is till it literally hits you at home, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was crazy, and then um, I kind of had to make a decision whether to go down to Fiji anyway and just basically be stuck there, which I don't mind doing, but right. a daughter that, you know, in her junior, senior year of high school. And, and I just kind of made a decision. Well, you know, I, who knew what was going to happen with it, how serious it was going to get. And was it the right decision, you know, to, to be stuck, um, you know, away from your family, away from things, or, you know, I was even going to bring her at one point, And then if something were to happen, you have medical facilities to take care of it. Yeah. To take care of anyone that does come down with it. Too, too many questions in the beginning, right? This is crazy. Right. Um, that's got to be the longest stretch that you've ever been home or been in Southern California period in 20 or 30 years, right? Literally, I, I was counting it like 33 years. Um, now, having said that, I did have a couple of great trips to mainland Mexico, um, spent the bulk of the winter in Hawaii, um, tons of friends over there. And it was a great, great winter last winter. Um, so yeah, I wasn't like literally stuck in La Jolla, but, um, I couldn't get to Fiji and, you know, Fiji's really, really, you know, become my home. So right. I was tough and, and worrying about, you know, my extended family down there. Um, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people who have been there surfing cloud break and those waves, uh, throughout, 
Are there any stories? Has it been just completely empty or? It's been pretty empty, you know, a few adventurous uh, yachts sailed over from New Zealand, Australia to kind of ride the pandemic out there, which, which was a pretty good move. But yeah, relatively super, super empty. And I mean, when it, I, from what I understand, when it got a little bigger, over eight feet, like literally totally empty. Yeah. So I was frothing. That was yeah. really, really tough. And, you know, our, It'll our never long-time... happen again. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, yeah. Next time oh, my daughter's in college, I'm down there. <laughs> I'll go completely feral like the old days. I don't care. Um, but yeah, our longtime photographer, Scott Weiner, has been down there literally for over two years now and counting. So he's been documenting the whole thing, documenting all the swells, documenting just life in general, but pretty heavy. I mean, an example of how hard the economy got hit down in Fiji, uh, Nandi, right, which is a big tourism hub. There's tons of handicraft stores and tourism stores, et cetera. Those all got turned into secondhand clothing stores for the locals. Wow. Yeah, and literally not one hotel was open. And so, you know, all these tourism type businesses like just had to completely change course and just cater to locals and, and help any way they could. And so how did your business, um, how did you guys navigate it? And what are bookings like now that it's opening back up? So, you know, we put a skeleton crew, you know, we have, we have a wonderful loyal staff. Um, we just bare bones it basically, but you know, we do have a fair amount of infrastructure with generators and pumps yeah. and, and in a way we're kind of like a well-anchored yacht, right? So you still, you're on the water, you have all that salt air, you know, we had a couple weather events, uh, cyclone, I think it was a cat three. So, I mean, we still had to deal with stuff, um, but basically just hunker down. And I mean, we, I guess the craziest thing, right? This uh, Fiji officially closed like end of February. And we thought, okay, yeah, it's going to take a couple months. We'll be back on in July. And July came and it's like, all right, well, I guess we need a few more months. And I mean, just, we just kept pushing back the, the restart date. I mean, not just us, right. The, the whole world, but it just kind of kept right. going on and on and on. So yeah, we, we were like, I don't want to say we're down to our last breath, but I mean, it definitely, after two years, it's like, okay, enough is enough. Like got to get back to normal. So what does reopening look like? You said it's open only to certain countries. What does it look like for you guys in terms of bookings? Um, well, it, you know, it looks good. We, what we did do is we honored all our prior guest bookings. Okay. So we have such a wonderful uh, clientele base. You know, I think most of our guests have been down there an average of like 15 years in a row or something crazy. Wow. And their kids have come after that. I mean, a lot of our guests have been down for 30 years plus. So even though they deposited, even paid in full for the whole year, and again, this is rewinded 2020, um, you know, they were just gracious enough to just say, hey, look, just let it roll over to when we can come back. So, you know, everyone has a big giant credit and, and we hope that everyone can utilize that in 2022 or whenever they can. I mean, it's, you know, we'll always honor it, but yeah, we're going to get all our same guests and hopefully pretend like none of this happened. Okay, good. Just roll right back into it. Yeah. Um, so let's go back. Uh, we obviously want to tell your origin story and yeah, yeah. cover important stories along the way. Uh, correct me if any of this information is wrong, sure. but Cloudbreak was first surfed in 1978. Dave Clark founded the resort in 1984. You and Rick Isbell came on board in 1992. So what was the proposition for you guys coming on board? 
Um, what opportunity did you see and what did the resort look like at that point? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, basically uh, Dave Clark founded or resort, I, I guess, started 83, 84. He was first down there at 82. Uh, Rick, my partner and I both actually drove, you know, we helped drive boats and, and acted as lifeguards in the late eighties, mid to late eighties for Dave and, and his former partner, uh, Scott. And so basically we were lifeguards and then we took over the business in 92, 93. Um, you know, it was a pretty basic surf camp back then. Shower bags, um, you know, little kind of two bed berets. Um, you know, I think we had a fleet of four boats or something. Uh, one central bathroom kind of call it facility, but life was good. It was epic. I mean, yeah. Simple is good, um, but it was like the Wild West back then. You know that whole side of Fiji. You know, besides a couple resorts that were there, was pretty. You know, I guess I don't want to say undeveloped, but just wasn't like this giant tourist destination like it is now. Um, and of course, surfing. I mean, no one even knew what surfing was in Fiji basically back then. I mean, no, no one surfed. No locals, hardly, or anyone. Um, the chief of the island, unfortunately, he passed a couple of years ago, but Druku, the pretty famous Fijian, was actually the first surfing Fijian. And he kind of helped us uh, basically as the, the honorary kind of, I should say honorary, he was the landowner designate um, from the chiefly family. Uh, it was basically our staff manager and in charge of, you know, all the Fijians, but really just this most wonderful personality. And he helped Dave and Scott in the early days and Rick and myself just kind of build the resort out. So, um, yeah, sleepy. And then Rick and I had this concept that, you know, it's funny. Okay. So rewinding a little bit, guys would cruise down there, you know, group of maybe 20, 24, um, and just, you know, pretty hardcore surf trip. And then we started making the resort nicer and nicer, but still, you know, we had all these guys coming down and we thought, you know, God, this could be amazing for girls and not surfers and kids at some point, but I think all the guys wanted to keep it a secret as long as right. possible. And as soon as a couple of the wives came down, the word was out that, Hey, this is amazing for non-surfers as well. And, and then we, you know, basically marketed it as such. So did Dave Clark not see uh, the same potential in it that you guys saw, or why did he, why was he interested in getting you guys involved and what opportunity did you see that he didn't? Oh, no, I think he definitely um, saw the opportunity. In fact, Dave's still our partner to date. Okay. And I just think, um, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, you know, one is, you know, I mean, Dave and Scott both did 10 years straight, you know, of Fiji in the early days and this, you know, going through hurricanes and, you know, a little bit of political instability and just all sorts of things. I mean, basically building, you know, the surf camp as it was, you know, by hand. I mean, bringing all these materials out and these, you know, in our 28 foot pongas. And, you know, I, I just think it was um, time. Well, I was lucky for Rick and myself, but I just think, you know, power in numbers and we were able to come on board with, you know, kind of some newer energy and, and basically um, align with his wisdom and experience down there. And collectively, I think it just worked out much better. Can you talk about, I think you, were you about 24 at the time? God, I want to even say 22. I mean, it's pretty. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
we were little okay. kids and then we all said it's very big employees working for us. That's so that's what I want to know about is at 22, I guess you don't even know you're too naive to even know what you're actually getting into, but I would imagine you're also taking on a tremendous amount of debt probably to yeah. you, you know, to kind of come up with that investment. Um, tell me about that learning curve. Did it feel like a huge burden or stressor or did you feel like, well, I have no wife and kids. I could walk away if I need to. What was your thought at the time? Um, no, no, it felt, it felt like the biggest, scariest gamble ever. We basically borrowed, you know, everything that, <laughs> that we could um, from a couple of wonderful, you know, guests and just from every source you can imagine to try to make this happen. And then just basically putting it all down, making a, a bet on a little island in a, you know, not so developed country. Yeah. Super not well known for the surfing part of it. And yeah, we went for it. It was really, really at moments that were super incredible and moments that were really scary where you're like, oh my God, we, we could just lose everything. Yeah. What did your parents say? You know, I was lucky. They were really, really supportive. Um, yeah. My dad was a, a pretty prominent physician um, in San Diego, unfortunately passed last year, but he was like, you know what, just go for it. You know, wow. you only have it once and you're passionate and you know, it, people are successful when they do things they're passionate about. Why were you so convinced and willing to take that giant gamble? Was it specifically uh, cloud break as a wave? Yep, for sure. I mean, I think it was a combination between totally falling in love with the, my opinion, the best left in the whole world and the people as well. I mean, the Fijian people were incredible, are incredible. I mean, literally just the most generous, um, just heartfelt, incredible. I, I don't know. I can't even just say enough wonderful things. They'll, they'll take the shirt off their back for you. And so it was a combination of those two things. And then I just absolutely fell in love with just everything Fiji and the island and the wave. And of course, you know, a, a perfect wave like that gets extremely addicting. So yeah. that was definitely a passion. And that got me through a lot of really, really tough days for sure, where you just you paddle out and it just seems like the world's going to end. And then all of a sudden you get a couple of perfect eight to 10 foot barrels and you're like, well, okay, wait, this isn't so bad. Um, we, it's hard to even go back into that mindset because we, as kind of, uh, I don't know, fans of surfing or whatever, mm -hmm. see Cloudbreak and Tavarua as such a amazing commodity that everybody wants. Like the demand for it far outweighs the supply. Mm -hmm. And so what was it like back through the nineties and two thousands? I mean, it, it was really, really different back then. Right. So we, internet hadn't really come on yet. So we didn't have that in basically we need to make calls. It was basically like a ship to shore radio. Wow. Um, an operator would connect international calls for either you or, or your guests. You'd wait for a call back. An old rotary dial phone was it. And then of course we had our radio um, as well, VHF. And then as far as surfing back then, I mean, it was, you know, there was no one around. So literally, you know, you'd go out with guests and we didn't even have radios at a, a certain point. I mean, really, 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 um, um, I don't know, a feeling of total seclusion and you just basically have what you have with you at the time. And 
taking care of injuries and when things go wrong, it, it was super, super serious. And, and you learn literally by experience. But having said that, magic. I mean, oh my gosh, we had these, you know, some days where just like three of us out, four of us out and the waves are just so good. And, you know, you're surfing for like eight hours, literally eight hours straight. You just can't go in and you know, you're so dehydrated. You're going to collapse at, at the end of it, but it doesn't matter. It's just like, you have to pinch yourself. Like it's like you died and went to heaven. So yeah, you just kind of have this dichotomy, you know, just being out there in the middle of nowhere and things can go wrong. It, it goes really wrong. But then when it's good, it's just, can't get better. Um, everything that I read about Fiji, the opening paragraph or two always references how beautiful the people are. And even yeah. you were going on about it too. And you just can't even put it into words. Can you um, expound on that a little bit and also talk about how that surfing community has developed? What are, cause it's kind of an interesting thing where oftentimes the locals are the ones uh, trying to keep it a secret. They're actually surfing it and trying to keep it a secret. And the tourists end up showing up second. This was a scenario where the tourists actually showed up first, introduced surfing. And so tell me about how that community has developed. Yeah. So to your point, um, you're right. Locals, you know, certain parts of the world, locals are going to keep it secret. But um, in Fiji, I think it was more a case where you know, you, you have a lot of, um, of these surrounding villages and they're very involved, you know, with their surrounding reefs and resources. And it was more a matter of, of what could be done to kind of help their development. So, you know, it, it would have been really, really selfish as to say, okay, how yeah, we're going to go out and we're just going to keep this secret. Um, you know, for one, you know, the wave itself, you know, can handle, you know, X amount of people. It, it's, you know, maybe, well, the argument on that anywhere from three, right. To, to 40. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was one of those things where I think you, in, in the government too, I, I mean, encourage, encourage everyone, encourage us to, to really kind of share the business with the local community and grow the business with the locals, with the local Fijians and everything. So by doing that, you know, we, you know, of course we have a philanthropic arm and we've always been really into helping the village with their infrastructure and medical cases, and schools and things like that, but also developing their surfing and letting them actually experience this incredible stoke that, that we all shared. And that was probably the most amazing and rewarding part is just watching like these little Fijian kids, um, you know, growing up in the village. And then all of a sudden <laughs> they're on a surfboard and they are charging. Really? And of course, you know, it's not, not like they're learning at a beach break, right? It's just like yeah. they're, they're like right into it. Um, most of them learn to surf, you know, kind of off the island or, you know, we have a little way of kitty lamb, but then they advance really quickly to restaurants and maybe restaurants doesn't have the intensity cloud rig, but it's definitely, you know, as shallow, if not shallower than cloud rig. And so they would just come in just bleeding, but just so happy, you know, they got these incredible waves and anyway. And so, you know, as far as developing, you know, local surfers, um, some of them, got really, really, really good and, you know, competed as wild cards and some of the, well, in those days, the CT events and now the WSL. Um, there's also a greater surfing community in Fiji, um, you know, and they have access uh, to Cloudbreak now, of course. And, you know, there's just watching um, surfing in general in the country grow the way it's growing. It's just amazing. 
So I, we're, we're lucky to kind of been a part of that propagation and continue to be. It's interesting, like you could make an argument for they have access to some of the best waves in the world and the learning curve would be really uh, fast. But I would imagine there's also some limitations built in, in that, you know, they're dependent upon loaner equipment, probably there's not a board building mm -hmm. industry nearby, there's not a variety of beach breaks and different style of waves. So are there those limitations? And will we see somebody come from Fiji to compete on the world level? I mean, you know, to answer the second part of your question, absolutely yes. Um, they, the level of Fijian surfing is just is amazing now, and, and getting on par with Tahiti, you know, and Tahitian surfers that are absolutely amazing. Um, so, absolutely, you're going to see. I think you're, we're going to see a world champ in our lifetime for sure from Fiji. Wow, absolutely, big claim. Or it's a big claim, right? But no, I'm serious, you know, or at least you know the the top five, absolutely not even question. Um, just the athleticism and there is, you know, even though cloud breaks intense, there are some other waves in different parts that offer variety. Um, and I think it's just, you know, traveling's become much easier. So I, I, I do think um, we're going to see that. Um, to answer the first part of your question, yeah, yeah, it was tough in the early days, equipment, everything like that. I mean, we have generous guests that would definitely give boards uh, to some of our staff that were learning to surf and, now we, we've figured out, you know, we're taking contributions and boards and distributing them to other parts of Fiji as well. And there is actually board building in Fiji now, um, which is great. And of course, access from Australia and New Zealand for boards. So I don't think that's as much of a constraint now, although economically buying boards is expensive, yeah. even when they are built in Fiji. But um, yeah. Are the, are the local board builders Fijians or are they transplants? Um, no combination of both a couple of expats that definitely came over and are kind of teaching the skills of board shaping and glassing and then local Fijians that are, they're, they're learning the trade, which is great. Interesting. And yeah, no, no. And I mean, as I, you know, made this big bull claim that there'll be a Fijian champion and I do think there will be, but I think, you know, you could see some, some cool boards coming out of Fiji too. Yeah. A different more, you know, sustainably done. I know they're doing kind of some bamboo type board versions but the glassing and all sorts of different kinds. So it could be kind of a cool industry if it's done right. Fascinating. I'm going to have to, if they have Instagram profiles, I'm going to have you send me those afterwards. So yeah, I can yeah. keep track of them as they develop. Sure. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about your surfing experience and all the things that you've seen over the years. Uh, number one, what's up with the leash on the front foot? Oh, okay. That was a big question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the top secret answer. No, it, I, I guess, um, long story short, I learned to surf regular foot, you know, when I was, I don't know, however old I was at the time, six, seven. Um, and then I switched to Goofy, but I always felt comfortable with the leash on that foot. But then I tried to switch back again, you know, a few years later. But then when I got to Fiji and I started, even before that, when I started kind of surfing heavy waves, doing mainland Mexico trips, um, I realized as a goofy foot, when you have the leash on your front foot and you pull into a heavy barrel and you know, you're not going to make it out. It's easier to shoot the board out in front of you and fall back. And you actually get more distance between you and your board. And then you can get shot. I mean, under perfect scenario, right? You get shot out the back and your board does too, but you, you know, the chances of collision are less. So it's just become more comfortable and especially at Clybreak. So 
you know, if you're playing a barrel, sometimes at cloud break, you'll be in the tube so long, but all of a sudden the water under you will start turning kind of brown from the reef, yellow, and you go, okay, I'm way in the shish kebab section. I'm probably not going to make it out of this barrel. And this is going to be, this is going to get pretty ugly here. And again, you can shoot your board further out when it's on your, again, if you're goofy foot and your leash is on your front foot, it's going to detach further from you. Man, I am so not convinced. <laughs> well, a lot to think about. Nobody think about it. Like if you're going to, if you're right-legged and you fling your board out, you know, it's your right leg is going to be further away from your body than your left, right? Yes. Yes. And so therefore but, the board's going to be further away. But I'd be worried about tripping up in the leash and hog tying myself. So you could also make an argument. There's kind of less, I don't know. It, I mean, I don't, I never trip on my leash. I never really step on it ever. Uh -huh. And, um, I don't know, kind of keeps it more instead of having this huge thing dragging it back you. Right. Uh, but I guess Matt, you could also say it's an old habit that dies hard too. Matt That's Keckley cool. does it as well. Yeah, totally. Keck totally does that. And it, not surfing big waves, you know, surfing small waves too. Um, I'm curious too, how you could so easily transition into a goofy footer. Like why, why transition to goofy footer? Any regular footer would show up at cloud break and yeah. just, you know, surf backside. Yeah, no, it was, you know, it happened years ago when I was a kid. And then I don't know, I just, I just literally just transitioned. And um, I guess it was one of the luckiest things I ever did, right? Because I was a goofy foot when I got to Fiji versus a regular foot. So I do remember you saying that um, at some point in a magazine I read decades ago, I, because like in my awareness, I thought that was the story. But because mm -hmm. I've never seen you surf regular foot in the decades since, I just presumed that I was mistaken. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's, it, it's yeah, I probably should get back to regular foot surfing, but so <laughs> tell you what, one thing, one thing that happens when you're in Fiji this many years, you know, for one, your, your backsides, well, as a goofy fit, your backhand surfing suffers a little bit, right? Yeah. The thing like, you know, probably 50 lefts to everyone, right? So when you go right, do you go goofy foot? Yeah, no, no, I do. And it feels huh. great to go backside. Huh. How this feels amazing. You know, it's just like fascinating. Um, what's with the red shorts? Um, red. Well, okay. So actually this is interesting. So red shorts, red board. A lot of people ask me about both those things. We'll start with the red board, but they really have the same answer. Um, again, early days and no radios and you're way out on the reef, your leash breaks. Yeah, you know, you're right on a big day, your leash breaks and the cloud break reef spans for, you know, I don't know, I guess a couple of, a couple of miles in either direction. So the only way you can find your board again is if you see red, if it's white, it's just going to, you know, get lost in the glare and everything. Yeah. And getting boards down to Fiji in the early days was really, really difficult. Yeah. Totally. Not want to lose good boards, especially, you know, really, really good guns that, that you love when it's eight feet and perfect. So that's the red board and, and the red trunks. Similarly, when you lose yourself, you know, if you get really, really worked and you're in trouble, um, you know, you need someone to see you. Yeah. You're standing on the reef. Do you ever not wear red shorts? Oh yeah. No, no, no. I guess. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a hundred percent of the time. No. Um, a lot of people, when I've read articles about you, people always ask you about the big swells that you've seen and all that. Um, I'm curious, what's some of the best surfing that you've ever witnessed? 
Oh my God. I've witnessed some incredible surfing. Um, of course, Kelly, I love surfing with Kelly over the years. And I mean, talk about someone that's just so insanely surf stoked and never gets bored and is always innovative. I, I remember one day it was just so insanely perfect. That's not necessarily big. It was like, I don't know, four to six feet, but just glassy. And we were getting so many tubes and he was getting, I don't want to say we were getting bored, getting rattled, but he was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to try to do 360s in the tube. Like literally it was trying to like, you know, do 360s and come out. Like it was crazy. Um, so so Kelly for sure. Right. But then um, as far as kind of an older generation, I've had some incredible sessions with Jerry and Victor over the years. Love both those guys. They're amazing humans and, and surfers. And then Wayne Lynch, I, I've gotten some insane days with Wayne over the years and Wayne, oh my gosh, what a great, great surfer, you know, that whole generation, just a ton of style, ton, a ton of style and power and drive. Um, Tom Carroll, same thing. Had some great sessions with Tom and just that power is just insane, you know, and it's it, incredible what's where surfing's gone now, obviously the air game and everything else. Um, but kind of pre air game and so much emphasis on these power turns and drive, you know, it was pretty cool to watch those guys at a wave like cloud break that really was conducive to that. I think that's where you really can identify the differences between those guys and other guys is in a world-class wave, you know? Oh yeah, totally. And yeah, absolutely. Realwatersports.com is your one-stop shop for all of your retail surfboard purchases. They have been in business for 20 years. They are experts not only on surfboards and getting you into the right surfboard for your needs and the waves that you surf, but they're also experts on shipping, shipping hundreds of surfboards every month, each for one low flat fee. They've cracked the code. They can ship boards to anywhere in the world including once to a charter boat in Indonesia where the surfers had broken so many of their boards that they needed to restock their quiver. So realwatersports.com, a really cool feature that they have as well are surfboard video reviews. So the surfboards that they have in inventory, they do a video review, often writing the surfboard and then reviewing it, showing some of that surf footage, and then detailing the design, the construction, all that sort of stuff. So again, a great educational resource for you to research your next surfboard purchase, realwatersports.com. Thrilled to have them as a partner and thrilled to be able to share the resource with you. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. I'm super excited to finally be able to share Whoop with you. I started working with them and using the Whoop strap almost a year ago. And when they first reached out, I had already seen John John Florence wearing one. Um, I think that he was just starting to really get into cycling at that point. So I'd see him wearing it on his bike. I'd see him wearing it in the water while he was surfing. And when I talked to the team at Whoop, they actually explained that although it is a wearable fitness tracker, it's actually designed around the concept of recovery. So yes, it tracks exertion, but helping understand how your body recovers actually allows you to get more out of your workouts. So we're finally launching this partnership because Whoop just released their all-new Whoop 4.0 strap, and it is the most advanced fitness wearable on the market. 
You wear it on your wrist. It has biometric tracking that tracks skin temp, blood oxygen, and of course heart rate, and much, much more. It is smaller and smarter than previous versions. It's so sleek that it fits under your wetsuit sleeve. Of course, it's waterproof. So the strap itself doesn't actually have a screen. There's no buttons. There's no annoying notifications. It's just constantly collecting your body's data 24-7. And then it connects to the app, which is on your phone, and gives you invaluable insights into the very big picture of your overall health. These vitals are super easy to share with your physician, your coach, your trainer, your PT, whomever. Think of it as a personalized digital fitness and health coach. Our promo code is the word SURF, where you'll save 15% on your membership, and you'll also get that WHOOP 4.0 strap completely free. WHOOP.com, W-H-O-O-P, WHOOP.com. And then use our promo code to both support us and then, of course, save 15% on your membership. The code is the word SURF on whoop.com, promo code SURF. Thank you and enjoy. In in recent, I don't know, decade, the last decade or so, we've seen um, surfboard sizes trending downward, probably mainly just so that guys like John John could take off you know, later and under the lip and all that sort of stuff. Um, you've bucked that trend, it seems, and you ride big boards. Why? What's your, yeah. what's your rationale behind riding big boards? Well, it's funny. So I'll literally, you know, cloud break breaks a certain way up to like, say six feet and you could ride the, and this is me personally, I, I feel like I could ride, you know, tiny board up to that. So I'll have like six twos, six oh, six okay. two, six three up to that. And then all of a sudden I'll just jump right to a seven, two when it goes to eight feet because it hits this outer ledge. Um, and Grant, I mean, John, John, all those guys are ripping on shortboards and it's like that, but I just feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like for my surfing, it, it works out better and I'd love to get barreled. And, um, I just, I, I like the drive and the, and the fluidness and, and I don't know, just, I don't know, call it the sulfiness. I don't know what the right word is for this, but I just feel really comfortable on seven oh seven twos and when it gets like that, just feels is it, really good. Is it just early entry that you're looking for? No, it's more, well, for one, I move my feet around on my board a lot. Okay. So, you know, if I pull into a barrel, I really, really move my, like my front foot, like, I don't know, even a foot further forward kind of with my toes. I don't know, do this weird thing. And, you know, I've never really been conscious of it till I actually saw like film of it. Like, I really do move my feet a lot. And so I think that helps because then I kind of lean forward and I almost like trying to like project myself out of the tube kind of with the way my front foot and front hand are kind of working together. And I don't know, it just seems like a, like the seven up for me when it's like eight feet or 10 feet just kind of works for that. Yeah. Um, there aren't a lot of guys that I would say benefit from riding the shorter boards out there mm -hmm. and maybe they do it like Chopu or something. Mm -hmm. but when you see the wave really turn on during the contest um you'll see the wave outpace most of the guys on tour or certainly the guys who haven't been there for a decade you know or haven't been going there for a decade and have a lot of experience out there so i think john john's kind of cracked the code but a lot of the other world-class surfers think oh if john john's doing it i'm going to scale down then they find themselves on an eight foot wave behind sections and not really knowing how to time it and 
you know, you realize they should be taking a page out of your book or Jerry's book or whatever. Yeah, totally. And it's, um, yeah, it's funny you say that. I mean, people can, you know, like John, John Kelly and, you know, a few other friends of mine and stuff. I mean, they can kind of write literally anything and make it look good. I mean, I've seen Kelly on like a solid eight to 10 foot day writing like, you know, a five, two. Yeah. Five, four. And so those guys are kind of the anomalies to the, <laughs> to what, you, you know, to the sport. Um, and to your point, when you see guys trying to mimic that, yeah, you can get, I mean, not only you get work, you can get in a lot of trouble and then you can kind of blow a lot of really good waves on top of that. So yeah, they should probably be using step-ups when it gets like that. But as surfers, we want to see the world tour take place at cloud break. I'm curious what your position is on that and what benefit do they bring to the Island? What risks do they bring to the Island? Do you want to see them there? Absolutely. It's amazing for surfing in general. It's amazing for the guys on tour and the girls on tour. And it's, you know, it's just, it's incredible for the country of Fiji. So any way to make that happen, I would love to, love to keep it going. Um, I know, you know, there's a lot of challenges with putting a production on that far, you know, in the middle of nowhere, I guess, on a small Island, you have to you have to beam live feeds from our scaffolding um, at cloud break. And there's all sorts of logistics involved with that. And it's amazing in the past, what their tech can, you know, everyone in general has done to to make that happen. Um, You know, and I hope people appreciate that is it's a huge effort. I know a lot of people are like, well, why isn't the contest coming back? It's, it's major for the WSL to put it on, but we definitely would love to see it happen again. And we're definitely, uh, and do everything we can from our end to, to make it happen. Sweet. We want to see it. Right. <laughs> I mean, totally hundred percent. And it's insane. Like I would love to know what's prevented it from, you know, at times. And even, you know, a couple of years ago, it was like, Oh, we signed a three-year deal without or known. So this will be here for the next three years. And then that just did it one year. And then it disappeared. Nobody says anything about why. And, um, then we're running in wave pools and then it's just kind of like, no cloud break. It needs to be man and woman versus mother nature. And cloud break is one of the best spots on the planet for that. So definitely. And, you know, I, I definitely, I know that WSL would love to <laughs> love to see it happen as well. And, you know, just to create that much more variety. Cause I think the wave pools have is super cool too, you know, but I think um, to have a variety of venues, and of course, cloud break with just the versatility of that wave and what you could actually do on it as a surfer. Um, you know, I, I think they would love to have it. And it's interesting. It's, I was surprised to hear you say that the best surfing you've seen out there, uh, Wayne Lynch, Jerry, I don't know that I've really seen footage of either of those guys out there. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's been, I, I know when I say that, I mean, I, there's a lot of people that, I mean, who's surfing, I, I respect tremendously out there. I mean, we just talked about John John and everything. I was just trying to kind of span the generations a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm glad to hear it because I can envision yeah. what it would look like. I just like, as I'm thinking through that, I don't think I've seen any of that footage. Have you um, written down or begun to chronicle all of the things that you've experienced out there? I should, you know, you know we, we've all, you know, entertained the idea of kind of doing some kind of a book or something, um, which would be really cool. 
I do need to chronicle it. I mean, I have it all in my mind right now. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, crazy, crazy things that have happened out there, you know, with like boats, anchors dragging and ending up on the horizon and, you know, a four to five foot day that all of a sudden turns into 15 to 20 feet really, really quickly and really scary and not having ski assist or anything. Um, no, I, I, you know, I should go back through, I, I do have a great photo collection from Good. digital before digital. Um, you know, a lot of my earlier kind of camera board stuff they did with Warren Bolster, which is really special to me and things. So I, I do kind of have a photo chronicle through the ages, but yeah, I should probably get a little more. Writing. Stuff. Yeah. Writing might be the last step. Um, but yeah, chronicling just because like, even if you try to recount the swells, important swells, a lot of that footage exists online, mm -hmm. but you would have to go dig it up now. It's almost worth hiring somebody just to create an archive where they start pulling all of that important stuff and cataloging it just so that it's ready to go for when you do uh, want to sit down and write the piece, you know, but yeah, not only video, but all the photos like, does the footage of Kelly Slater trying to do 360s in the barrel exist? And who has it? You know, track it down now. Yeah. Uh, Tom Survey might have it. I feel like he was around during that. And Tom's been there for a lot of these great swells. Um, and yeah, no, no, thank you. Definitely. Because I, I would hate for, yeah. I mean, these are memories that are just, you know, that are incredible. And it's, it's really, it's a piece of surfing history um, Fiji in general and, and just the whole early days and everything that's happened out there over the years. But yeah, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate to have had those experiences and, and obviously it'd be, it'd be great to share those. Um, do you ever get bored surfing cloud break? No, no, not, okay. not at all. And, and even, you know, we were talking about doing, you know, Kelly's 360 to the tube. It wasn't a boring morning. It was just like the waves were so perfect that you could actually kind of expand <laughs> Right. And the, you know, the horizon a little bit on what you can do. Um, no, absolutely not. It's so insane. You just never want it to end really. When it um, gets sizable, do you ever feel comfortable out there? Have you gotten to the point now where you actually feel comfortable out there? Nope. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, comfortable relatively. I mean, you know, if it's really perfect and, you know, eight to 10 feet and, and not shifting around too much, you know, the waves you're getting are so insane that, you know, you don't really think about the consequences. So in that sense, you're comfortable because, you know, you're, you're just so happy that you, that you don't think anything's going to go wrong, but I don't know if comfort being comfortable out there is the right word. Collaborate moves around as a rule so much, it changes so much condition wise. And when it's big, you know, you just have to respect that surf spot more than I could think of any other surf spot in the world. Because mm. it's just, it'll always, always win. And I think, you know, a little cliche, but you get too comfortable out there and it'll, it'll whack you really, yeah. really good. I, I think that's the ocean in general though, right? It is. And it's often on the days that aren't the biggest days that everybody gets hurt, you know, just because you put your guard down that little bit. Oh yeah. I've seen some horrendous injuries, unfortunately, over the years. Had a couple myself, but. What was the worst you've had? Um. Oh God, I surfed a really, really good swell with uh, Jeff Booth was down, Tom Survey, my couple of my boatmen. Perfect. It was an afternoon session. We went out right after lunch. It was like perfect eight feet, like so good, 10 feet. 
and we were just pushing each other. I remember Boothie just got a couple of these incredible barrels. Actually, just rewinding some of the people I've seen sort of incredibly well out there, um, Boothie for sure. Jeff Booth um, serves it really, really well. But anyway, he, he was getting these amazing barrels and I started getting, you know, I was getting some really good barrels and we were kind of pushing each other a little bit. And I just remember um, pulling in a one and just, it was so deep and I thought I was gonna make it, but it trapped doored. And literally when it trapped doored, it just, my board just blew up in my face. Mm. So I ended up with like, I think 40 or 50 stitches all the way across from like my eye down on my, <laughs> down below my mouth. Um, really good friend of mine and incredible ER doctor, Dave Oates, just happened to be our island doc at the time. So he set me up, but I remember the time, like I was so out of it and it was low tide and I got washed up on the dry reef and I was just like, I couldn't even see straight. And then the boat kind of came around, picked me up and I was like, oh, okay, you guys, let's go back out. And everyone's looking at my face. No, 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 no. We got to go in. No, no, no. It's sober. They're like, Tom's face is like, no, 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 no. Your face is literally like hanging down by your shoulder. Oh my gosh. So the uh, trap door meaning bottom of the wave kind of opens up. When you say your board exploded, was it your board hitting dry reef that like broke it and hit, shot it up oh. into your face? No, I think so. You know, I was in, so in the barrel and then like the bottom of the barrel just like opened up, you know, kind of, and then the whole wave exploded at once. And so the board literally just like Got exploded it. right against my head. And literally I could just shattered, you know, a big chunk of it and almost broke it in half on my face. It was pretty bad. Um, Brutal. But the wave wasn't, the wave was really good. But yeah. of course, all I could think about is, well, why did, all I had to do was do one more pump and I would have totally. Exactly. <laughs> um, does living in paradise ever, is it all that it's cracked up to be? It is. I mean, you know, for sure, but there's things that you're going to have to deal with that you probably, you know, don't realize, you know, it. I, I guess paradise, paradise is relative, right? So the water is warm. The people are incredible. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. And it really, truly is amazing. But the downside is, you know, it's, there's minimal medical care. Um, you can get significant cyclones where the wind literally will be 150 knots plus. Um, staff infection, absolutely. Staff is super, super prevalent and, and that's not fun. You know, if you don't clean cuts out and then just injuries. I mean, you, you, as we just talked about, um, that was a board hitting me in the face, but you absolutely can get lacerated on the reef and it just takes forever to heal in the tropics. Mm. So, you know, there, there's different things. And of course, I mean, the waves are really consistent at cloud break in Fiji, but you can get periods where it's not good and you just kind of have to ride it out on a small Island. Yeah. You know, and that's when I don't want to say things can get boring, but it gets a little more mundane when you're yeah. not able to go you know, shave off, you know, whatever in the, in the surf and that whole thing. So did, um, how much have you been able to travel throughout the last 30 years? I know you do Mexico and Hawaii and California, but have mm -hmm. you been able to travel to your heart's content? Yeah. I, I mean, I do. I, I mean, I'm fortunate to already be a, like, what I consider the best destination ever, right? At Cloud Break. So I love that wave so, so much. Um, but as far as variety, I've had some great Indonesia trips. Um, God love some of the waves over there. I've had a couple of good trips with, you know, Martin Daly. Um, and I love Australia. I have a lot of really, really good friends down there and I've gotten great waves in Australia. And in the early days, I used to stop in Tahiti on the way 
back to the U.S. because there wasn't a nonstop flight and just got incredible waves in Tahiti and really, really wonderful people there as well. So, yeah, I've done a fair amount of, of traveling kind of outside, you know, Fiji, but you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, you want to surf where you're most comfortable and definitely it's, you know, I love surfing collaborate. Is there any trip that you haven't done yet that you want to do? Yeah, Namibia, for sure. I would love to get that on a big, good swell. Yeah. That is actually really on my bucket list. And I've had some opportunities and offers and something those kind of come up. And again, you know, when, you, when you're on Tavru and things, you know, you, it's hard to leave and you get yeah. kind of caught up in the, you're like, oh, shoot, I, I don't want to go anywhere. It's so comfortable. Yeah. I, I'm dying to go there. That looks like an unreal way. And as a goofy foot, it's for sure. Um, speaking of getting caught up and not wanting to leave, in hindsight, do you feel like you've sacrificed any other things in your life that you uh, either regret or maybe just would have wished that you would have explored more? Um, no, not, not really. I mean, life's short, right? It's, you know, and you can't do everything in life. And I think, you know, as long as you have a, a good balance of doing something that you're passionate about and being able to, you know, help people along the way doing that and, um, and being able to share incredible experiences with people, you know, I think that that's, it's pretty fulfilling. Um, I mean, I still feel like, I still feel like a kid. I still feel like I literally make 16 year old decisions. And, you know, when I'm surfing, I literally just, I mean, I just, if it's good, I just don't even want to get out of the water. I'll, I'll surf right. up to sundown. So. Um, if you were just doing that, I would argue that you haven't found the balance and that you're too heavily weighted on just surfing. But the fact that you're integrated into such an amazing community and then additionally, you have the world community coming and participating and all that kind of stuff really yeah. does. I mean, you really figured out the equation. Kind of. And then, you know, when, so I, I guess I could answer the, your question a little bit better. So, um, you know, I, at this point, our, our resorts, you know, pretty developed and we've done some things with Namotu next to us. Um, and so we're getting into a lot more philanthropy. And, and so we have a couple um, great uh, 501Cs that, that we've started and, and we're trying to kind of extend our, our philosophy out with, you know, different village projects. We hope to do renewable energy projects, um, solar and then sustainable farming and things. And then um, I guess one thing I, I started doing the last two years, cause I started getting bored with my time. And so I started it, well, I shouldn't say I did it last two years, but I started it last August is um, going back to grad school for business uh, sustainability at Yale. So right wow. the second, I actually do a commute every other week to New Haven, Connecticut to do that in person, which is great. And that's a wonderful, wonderful program. But Yale does some amazing philanthropic projects. And they had just started um, over the last few years, a wonderful sustainability focus with their uh, traditional business school program. So I kind of threw a Hail Mary I got bored and then ended up getting into that. And that's just been an amazing project. So and is it a master's really degree? It is. Yeah. Master's okay. in business. And then with a sustainability focus, and it really is applicable to what we're doing in Fiji. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of leveraging everything I'm learning and all my, you know, these connections I'm getting from there and being able to do 
you know, further uh, some of these projects and things that we're doing in Fiji and, and try to really help more people down there. That is huge. Congrats. No, uh, no, I appreciate that. You know, it's a little bit of time and effort, but it's, it's really cool. So I guess an answer to your question about, you know, is there anything, you know, I feel like I was missing out by doing that, it, you know, I'm kind of um, tackling it on, on the back end of, of my career and, and doing some stuff like that, which I think will be really helpful. It's never too late, John. No, no, message right? to the young people. <laughs> it's, um, never, it's never too late. And, you know, you never stop learning in life and or having experiences, really. Are you 55? Yep. Um, what stage are you at in your life's kind of surfing ability? Do you feel like you've peaked as a surfer? No, not at all. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I guess the one thing I find is that, you know, um, besides surfing every day, which I, which I always do and which, you know, you have to, if you want to stay surfing, but, you know, I cross train a lot I have a super good trainer, um, Jayhan and Malaya. He's an, an amazing trainer for surfers and he, you know, I supplement my surfing with that and it's been incredible and it just keeps me, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, oh, I want to say at the top of my game, that's the wrong word. <laughs> I still feel like a kid. How's that? That's and I can't wait for the next big giant perfect day because yeah, it'll never get old. Um, so maybe you haven't peaked out there at cloud break for the next big giant perfect day, but if you're just surfing somewhere around San Diego and the mm -hmm. waves are kind of dribbly and not big, do you feel like you're still sparky in that surf? You mean like a wind and sea right before I got on this podcast? <laughs> yes, <video>? exactly. <laughs> I did discuss surfing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel great. Okay. Yeah, I feel great. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, one of my life girls told me ages ago, you know, just a three-way rule, no matter how bad it is, no matter where you are, just paddle out and catch three waves. Um, that, was, that was his philosophy, you know, and, and obviously that's easy to do in Fiji, but, you know, other places, California, whatever. And so I totally prescribe to that, um, no matter what it's like, paddle out and get at least three waves. And that keeps you just on top of it. And more times than not, I, even if it's junky and two feet, you know, I have a blast. Good. And I mean, you gotta be, you gotta have fun in every kind of condition. Again, getting back to Kelly, I mean, Kelly has fun surfing everything. Really? And I mean, I think that's the philosophy you have to have if you want to keep surfing forever. Um, as a blueprint for listeners who want to surf into their, you know, peak in their surfing into their fifties and sixties, what's the um, cross training that you do? Is it, cardio is it uh weightlifting it's all of that so you know a lot of it's interval training um a lot of it's a combo of circuits where you're you're doing cardio you're weightlifting um building a lot of legs and <laughs> doing a lot of lunges and squats which you know it's painful um but it really really helps because you know if you think about it when you're standing up you know a lot of guys when, when they kind of age out of surfing they have trouble getting to their feet right that's the biggest issue as long as you keep your trunk super super solid and keep your you know quads and legs super solid i mean it's easier just to to get up because you're not pushing up with your arms so much as you're projecting up with your knees and your leg muscles so my advice is just, you know, absolutely focus on legs. Obviously arms are really important of all the cross training I've done though. The best thing for keeping your arms in shape is paddling. Mm -hmm. Whatever reason it's really hard to duplicate that. Um, we do a lot of rope pulls and that 
close, but it's, it's not the same. Yeah, I think you're right. And a lot of guys, they don't age out because of their arms, because they're surfing frequently enough to that their arms stay active. But I think at that same time, they're sedentary probably throughout the day. They have desk jobs or they're driving to work. And so that lower body that you're talking about isn't getting the daily um, exercise that their arms would be getting if they, if they do surf, you know? Yeah. Those legs are really, really, really important. And yeah. That's what Jay's really taught me. And, you know, I, I didn't realize it till we started training a few years ago. I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. My legs do need a lot of work. Yeah. What does your diet look like? And are there any things you stay away from? Yeah, I try to do, um, again, my trainer's good with that too. Uh, like a 90, 10 thing. So 90% of the time, you know, I'll eat really, really healthy, you know, minimal carbs. Um, although so minimum carbs, you know, protein, eat really clean, try to stay away from a ton of red meat, even though I love a good steak every so often, but try to eat clean, no sugar, like really, really try to cut the sugar out. Um, you know, and but the other 10%, you know, you don't want to be that person that just can't, you know, shows up at a restaurant and can't eat anything on the menu. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. So you got to balance it, but I just found for myself just cutting the carbs and the sugar. Um, it feels good and, and just, it makes you more agile, just lighter on your feet, lighter in your, in your mind and everything. But, um, talking about cutting sugar, is it like even natural sugars, like cut like a less fruit or just refined processed sugar? Refined process. Um, but you know, it's interesting, right? Cause people are like, Oh, well, as long as it's natural, but I mean, honey is sugar, right? It's yeah. At the end of the day, sugar is sugar. Fruit's great. Um, not so much the, the fruit juice itself, but fruit, because you know, your way your, your body's assimilating it, it's, the sugar's just not going straight into as much as like a juice or something. It has fiber in it when you're eating it. Fiber, which is really, really important. Um, so yeah, and just try to eat super, super balanced, you know, just vegetables and, and the whole thing. And then don't, don't skimp, you know, try to eat throughout the day. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I prescribed it, you know, a lot, a lot of what Laird does too. I think Laird, Laird's obviously super on it. Yeah. And, and he's a founding youth as well, you know, or at least he, I mean, that's why I'm not saying I'm a founding youth, but he's definitely a, a great model for it. Um, he's aged gracefully. Oh yeah. No, he's still, trust me of all the kids at heart. He's a huge kid at heart. Absolutely. I mean, Laird's um, a lot on a perfect day and sort of better than anyone out there. What do you have a policy for alcohol? Yeah, I, I mean, I personally love tequila. <laughs> so, <laughs> it just has to be really good tequila is my policy. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'd love to drink a beer and stuff. It's just, it's moderation, right? You just don't want to do it all the time. And anyway, I guess the big thing with me, I mean, if the waves are, are, are good and everything, you know, I just, I don't want to be slow in the morning. Yeah. So if, if you go out the night before and you, and you tie one on, it's, it's going to feel terrible. And I, I think, that's a big difference when getting older is, you know, you, you can't really just brush off the hangovers like you could when, as a kid. Yeah. It's going to hurt you a lot more physically. And, you know, as long as you got to be cognizant of that and you got to make a decision, okay, well, do I want that hangover in the morning or do I want to be able to surf really good waves in the morning and feel good? Easy decision. Yeah. And of course, if it's blown out and terrible in the morning, then you're like, okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to take, um, take care of yourself. You talked about your teenage daughter. Um, does she surf? She does. Um, she goes to Cal Poly, uh, first year and she just made the surf team up there, which I'm super, super proud of her. 
um, and she spent her first half of her life down in Fiji. Uh, she's regular foot, so she's a regular foot in the family. And, and for now, yeah. anyways, <laughs> for now, maybe she'll switch over too, right? <laughs> Actually, she switched foot, so I'm pretty, you know, better than I do even. So, I mean, she switched foot really well. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, she's she's amazing, and Fiji's been a huge, huge, huge part of her life and, and the yeah. surfing community in general. Um, what is she studying? Uh, anthropology, cultural anthropology, and marketing. But, Interesting. Uh, into Fiji. Um, does she have any interest in getting into the family business? She does. I mean, she loves philanthropy, and I think she really wants to do, you know, or be involved with some of the philanthropic projects that that we do going forward. And she was already talking about tying in some of her uh, college projects with that. So yeah, definitely. I mean, she, she loves Fiji. It'll always be a part of her life. You know, and I think just like, you know, my partner, Rick's son, Trevor and, and Dave Clark's daughter, Roxanne, it's yeah, it'll, it'll always, you know, be a huge part of everyone's family. I mean, it really seems like you could, the world is her oyster and she could expand into any different way that she wanted to. I mean, you guys could grow the business and um, develop, I would imagine, a million opportunities. It's more about picking and choosing how you want to spend your time, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, get getting kind of back to the earlier things we were talking about with Fijians, the Fijian people. They're so wonderful. I, I mean, I can't think of better people to want to spend your time and to do things for than Fijians. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful people in the world, obviously, but just, you know, from our experience, just wonderful. So I, I definitely think she wants to do something along those lines. Um, we started out by talking about what the resort looked like when you first got there, but can you kind of give me the sales pitch for listeners now who aren't yeah. familiar with it? What does it look like now and what does the business look like? Well, uh, our island is roughly 28 acres. Uh, shaped like a heart we have 16 uh basically kind of like 14 kind of what we call berets but really it's an open floor plan um you know a couple queen size beds and, and people can stay there with their families if they like then we have two larger uh what we call kind of sunrise sunset or vip berets two bedrooms and kind of a bathroom in between and then we built a beautiful villa which has two wings roughly five thousand square feet and that could actually take uh two families so i guess an aggregate you, you know 42 to you know up to 50 people if there's kids wow you can be on island at any one time um and then of course you know besides the surfing there's great fishing diving. A lot of people will come down there and get certified for scuba. Um, you know, wonderful. I mean, I'd love to, we haven't gotten into kiting, but I'd love to kite as well and foil and I mean, amazing conditions for both of those. Okay. Most of the time. Um, so if the surf's not that good, there's tons of other stuff to do. And then just culturally in general in Fiji, you know, we do all sorts of village excursions and side trips, even river rafting on the other side of Fiji. And there's a lot to do down there. It's a very diverse um, fun place to, to go. We'll close out the conversation. I just want to stick to our timeline here. I know you got another call coming up, but, um, what are you writing? Whose boards are you writing? <laughs> um, well, Tim Bissell has been my longtime shaper forever, literally since I was 14 years old. 
Oh my gosh. So, yeah. I, I still, you know, love to ride his boards. They're, they're absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I mean, recently, you know, in Hawaii, I've been experimenting with some Arakawas and, um, Glenn Pangs, which are super, super killer. Um, I have a great quiver. It's just been waiting to go down to Fiji. Yeah. Wanted to break it out. So I play with those a little bit. Um, you know, I've ridden Rusty's in the past and Rusty's an amazing shaper too. You know, all those guys absolutely know how to design an amazing board for cloud break. Um, you know, and so I, I've worked closest with Tim probably more than anyone. And he definitely has these, the cloud break ledge model, the two ride model completely dialed in. I mean, you've got to be his most uh, helpful team rider, right? I try my best for sure. <laughs> definitely. It was fun to experiment with some different things and, you know, even getting into some asymmetric stuff, which is a lot of fun. What'd you ride today? Uh, today I rode, what did I ride today? A little 6'2 fish. Okay. It's, super, it's like a hybrid fish kind of pulled in a little bit. Okay. Really, from really Tim? fat. From Tim. It's actually a quad instead of a, a twin and it's just insane. Love it. Felt like, felt like a little kid, right? Totally. Um, so when are you headed back? Uh, next month. I'm excited. So yeah, we're in mid October. I'm going to try to get back around the 11th of November. So in a Fiji's so technically officially opening in November, but commercial flights with frequency are going to start on December 1st. So we're really, really excited for things to get back to normal. We're really thankful of the Fiji government for opening everything up, you know, despite, you know, some of these other countries, um, you know, kind of opening up slower in the area. And so, yeah, we're, we're ready to rock and roll and get back to normal here. I would imagine. Uh, what's your day-to-day -day obligations and as a employee? Oh, well, you know, obviously it's been a little different navigating all this, but in general, just, you know, overseeing operations. We have a couple really good general managers down there. Um, Kyle, uh, the chap and, and Dylan Fish, uh, both from Hawaii. And it's been really nice to have those guys over the last several years now. I mean, it's been a while um, handling a lot of the kind of operational type stuff on the ground, enabling us to kind of come and go a lot more than we used to. Good. But, that's what I was, that's what I was interested in. If you're able yeah. to just surf and enjoy your time. What's well, that? Almost that good, you know, but of course, yeah, we, we work a lot with them. And then, as I mentioned, we do a lot of philanthropy. And so, you know, we work a lot with these different projects. Um, one thing I'm excited about is, you know, we're going to completely uh, make Tavarilla sustainable. We're have a big solar project we're implementing and all sorts of other things. So that's going to be really, really cool. And then I amazing with Nemo too as well. So, yeah, I mean, never, Never gets boring, right? <laughs> Rewinding to our earlier conversation. There, there's always something to do too when, when the waves aren't great. Yeah. Well, amazing. Keep up the amazing work. Um, obviously, tavarua.com is the website, right? Yeah, tavarua.com. Uh, um, yeah. If listeners want to book a trip, what are the odds that they can actually get in? Oh, the odds are high. You okay, know, good. I think, you know, we have some credits we're going to honor, but really... In general, there, there's, you know, we usually find space for people that really want to go and we encourage everyone to experience it for the, for the first time and, you know, become part of the Tavra family. And I look forward to surfing with everyone down there. It, it's, uh, I mean, it's one of the most unique places on this planet and um, I think everyone that goes down there will love it. 
I really appreciate you taking the time, John. Yeah, take care and, and um, hopefully to see, see you in Fiji soon. Tavarua.com, of course, is the website. You can find John on Instagram at John Roseman. There's no H in John, just J-O-N. And of course, I'll link to everything on surfsplendorpodcast.com, as well as footage of John getting barreled. Um, He was working with GoPro for a while. I don't know, maybe he still is. So he's got lots of uh, footage of himself in the barrel at Cloudbreak, which, of course, never gets old. So go there, check that out. Of course, we're doing the Timponi Gillespie giveaway this month. So if you are a supporter of our podcast, it's a $5 a month contribution. You are automatically entered to win that. If not, and you want to get in on it, you have a few days left. We're going to pick a winner on November 1st. It's completely at random, but it's just a way for us to highlight some of our favorite board builders and to thank you, the listener, for your support. I will leave it there. I have a busy week um, at the first half of this week. So Scott and I are aiming to record Spit on Thursday, I believe, this week. And Chaz and I will be back on the grit on Friday. So go grab those episodes. And then I'll be back here on Surf Splendor next week. So until then, this is, of course, David Scales wishing you all the best and encouraging you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and, of course, shred on. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.